we have been talking about doors for the past five weeks here at the Grove, and then this will be the sixth week that we're talking about doors. And we've talked about all different kinds of doors, uh, open doors, uh, doors that are open that God opens that we actually don't want to walk through, uh, doors where we have two doors open and we can go through either door. Um, and so far, all we've been talking about is open doors. And so today, the series is going to end with a closed door. And what do we do with closed doors? And I know that we have all faced closed doors, excuse me, we have all faced closed doors, uh, and that's not something that we like, uh, and we can all relate to a closed door. So I am going to tell you my closed door story this morning, and maybe it'll shed a little bit of light on why I'm wearing this today. Some of you still cannot believe, I see your faces, you can still not believe that I'm wearing this. Um, So for me, I grew up and football was everything to me. I played football in my backyard. I went to my first uh, football, college football game when I was like six or seven. My aunt and uncle took me to the game. Uh, it was actually a Ducks game. My uncle graduated from the University of Oregon, and so I grew up my whole life wearing these colors. So this is not foreign to me uh, at all. And um, so then when I got to high school, I went to high school here in Albany. Uh, some of you may know that. I went to West Albany High School, uh, played football there. That was my thing. I really enjoyed that, uh, and I happened to be good at it, and I found that out my sophomore year of high school, actually, uh, and the Oregon State uh, football, uh, he was the wide receivers coach at the time. He was a recruiter, and he came and uh, asked if I'd be interested to uh, play football at Oregon State someday, Um, and then that kind of started the process my sophomore year of uh, being recruited uh, for, to play college football. And um, eventually, uh, the Oregon, University of Oregon um, wide receivers coach started recruiting me as well. And Oregon was way more interested than Oregon State. And I was super excited, right, because it's a dream come true. I'm going to play for the team that I've cheered for. Uh, I was getting free tickets to go to the games and stuff like that. Um, it was all legal. I wasn't good enough. They weren't, like, buying me cars or, like, they didn't hook mom and dad up with a house or anything. Um, I, uh, it, they, they have a stars system, and five stars is the best. I was not ever any stars, zero stars. Um, and uh, I remember my junior year is when I started to get, like, uh, fin- well, my parents started to get financially involved in my process of playing football, and they started to pay for me to have a personal trainer, and, um, you know, they started getting me the right equipment. They got really expensive knee braces so that I wouldn't blow out my knees and not be able to play anymore. And so I started to go down this path of, playing football, and that's what I was going to invest in. And so my junior, the summer of my junior year, I got a, a handwritten letter. And this is, this is what recruits live for, is the, the handwritten letter, not the one that's uh, typed out and printed, and they have the little uh, stamped-on signature that gets sent out to thousands of recruits. But we live for the ones that are handwritten. And uh, I only got one, and to put this in uh, perspective for you, Tim Tebow, whether you like football or not, you probably know Tim Tebow, had over hundreds, hundreds of these letters scattered over his desk, handwritten letters. And his were from the head coach. Mine was just from uh, the receiver's coach that was writing me. It was like two sentences, but it was like the coolest thing ever. He said, we're fired up for you to come to our camp. I still remember what it says. It was the coolest thing. I think mom still has it. Uh, I should have brought that maybe. But um, so I got this handwritten note, and Oregon State hadn't sent me any of that. No other colleges had, and they were really excited to have me go to this camp. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with kind of what this process is like, it's, um, it's a high school camp, and so high school teams would bring their whole team there, and then they develop their skills and stuff. But, and I had gone to camps like this before growing up, but this was my first time going to a camp as an individual. And so how colleges kind of circumvent and get around um, 
official visits and kind of find the loophole within the NCAA system is they'll invite these individual kids that they're recruiting to go to their camps and then they'll get to put them through drills and see them do all this stuff under like a camp setting where it's like legal instead of like a private workout. So I went for the first time as, a, as an individual because they wanted to see kind of what skills I had and things like that. And so I went to, I came to their camp and, uh, and the first day, and, and, uh, and you got to remember, it's for 17 years, I, I love the ducks. And so this is just like, my jaw is dropping. They give you a tour of the facilities and stuff like that. And I'm just like in awe of this. And uh, I still remember the defensive coordinator, Nick Aliotti, came up to me and uh, knew me by name. Uh, that blew my mind. I could not believe that. And he's like, Aaron, you know, we're really glad that you're here, stuff like that. And so I was just super pumped, right? I'm just super excited. I, can't, I cannot believe I'm at this camp. And so uh, the first day, we, we go out, and uh, they wake you up super early. You stay in the dorm, so it's a really crappy sleep, right? And uh, you go out really early in the morning, and, um, and we're going to start doing drills, and we start doing the warm-ups. And they, uh, for these individual people, they put you on these renegade teams. And so there were probably, like, four renegade teams. So that way you could still, like, participate in the team scrimmages and stuff like that, even though you weren't there with your high school, right? And so there are kids from California and all over. And uh, I was put into one of these four renegade teams. And my uh, friend who also went to West Albany High School wasn't there yet. And he was being recruited and he was coming as an individual as well. And, uh, and then I saw, and he showed up that morning. And so I see him walk by and, uh, with one of the coaches and they're trying to find a team to put him on. Um, and so they ask for volunteers if anybody wants to be put on that team. And so I, I volunteered right away because I wanted to be on his team. I didn't know anybody on the Renegade team. It was only the first day, so I hadn't made relationships yet. Um, and so uh, he takes me, and we're both walking, and then he, my friend's name was John. He drops John off, and then he keeps walking me past all the Renegade teams and takes me to the smallest high school you have ever seen. I mean, they couldn't have had more than 20 people on their team, just the smallest high school. I was bigger by at least 150 pounds than all of them. And they didn't have enough people to play. And so a couple of us from these Renegade teams got put on these other teams. And so... Um, the reason I'm at this camp is to show Oregon, you know, what my skills are so that they can have a look at me. And so I get placed onto this team. And uh, they, I mean, they didn't even really have like a playbook. I mean, they were probably from a league that played nine-man football versus 11. And so I, uh, all that to say, I had the worst camp ever. I, le- I even left the day early. I was miserable. I was having a terrible time. And I probably, looking back on it, realized that maybe what that looked like to Oregon. But at, at that point, I didn't care. It was really a boring and I wasn't playing well. And so from that point on led uh, to a series of unfortunate events that um, were essentially closed doors in this closed door story that I'm telling you. Um, so after that, my, uh, the person who was in contact with me from Oregon who was recruiting me actually uh, left for another job and uh, the offensive line coach, which is the position that I would have played, um, he was considering taking another job. And so the two people that I had as contacts to Oregon, and because of the zero star thing, um, I got left. I I, uh, just stopped hearing from Oregon. They didn't talk to me anymore. And that was kind of the end of my process with them. And ironically, Oregon State kind of started talking to me more. And my goal, especially since I got financially committed and I was really excited to uh, get a scholarship, that was my goal, was to get a scholarship and uh, on September 4th through the signing day and uh, you, where you get to go into your school and you sign your letter of intent for your full-ride scholarship. Those were the goals that I had. 
Um, and none of, none of those goals happened. So I didn't get offered by Oregon State. They gave me a preferred walk-on, uh, which is essentially, hey, if you want to pay for your tuition and pay for everything else, we'll let you commit all this time to football and suck at school. So uh, that, was, that was the offer that they gave me, but I was really excited, and it was the best offer that I had. Um, and so uh, even though it seemed like a closed door, I, I still went to Oregon State, and I ended up playing there. Uh, so... I uh, played there for two years, and um, to answer all of your questions, I never played in a game. No, I did not ever play in a game. Some of you have asked me that. Um, I know it seems like a really cool thing. It was an awesome experience, but um, all of the goals that I had surrounding football, and especially when I started investing money into it, or my parents started investing money into it, um, I had started going down this path, and it ended after two years. Um, that's all I played, and then it was all over, and it was just kind of like a closed door. It's the first and only thing to this day that I've ever quit. Um, I just stopped going to the workouts. I mean, I let the coaches know I had a meeting with uh, the head coach and then my position coach, but none of the players um, knew that I had left, and I got a text during their first workout, and they were like, where are you? And uh, that's when I let them know that I had just quit. And this kind of thing is more normal, but for me, I had never done anything like that before. And so uh, I had been going down this path, and really quickly, I was really invested into it, and then all of a sudden I ran into this closed door, and then that was the end, and, and football is all over for me, and I'm not going to do anything like that again. Um, and it was a cool experience, but it just ended with a closed door. And I think that uh, some of us can relate to that in, to some capacity or another where we've been going down this road or we've been especially financially invested, or maybe we don't even get to that point. Maybe the door is just closed right away, and maybe that's a better kind of a closed door. But um, where we're headed in a direction, uh, maybe it's in work, like our jobs, we're climbing the career ladder, and then we end up not getting the job that we thought or we didn't get to go to the college that we thought we would end up being able to go to. Um, or for some of us, uh, maybe it's like in dating relationships, we thought that we would have somebody and we ended up not having somebody. And for some of us, we're thankful for those closed doors, uh, looking back on it. But um, when you're in the middle of it and when you're faced with a closed door, everybody in this room can relate to what that feels like in not being able to move forward with something like that. And so today we're going to look at um, maybe why that do door is closed or different parts to every closed door. And so there are three points. Um, so for note takers today, this is going to be a, a great, great sermon for you. Uh, if you have your pen and pencil ready, I'll give you three points that you can kind of write down. Uh, it's not like a three-step plan to fix your closed doors or to open that closed door, but it'll kind of help us maybe understand why there are closed doors at all. Um, and the story that I'm going to tell to you guys today is uh, from the book of Habakkuk. And uh, growing up in the church, yes, that is a book in the Bible, Habakkuk, and it is uh, three chapters long. And growing up in the church, I had never heard this story, um, and so it was really kind of fun to kind of dive into this book and research it and learn it a little bit. But this whole book is based around a guy named Habakkuk. He was a prophet, and prophets, and it's an Old Testament book, and God would use prophets to speak his word to the people because God worked differently back then, and they didn't have the Holy Spirit relationally, and so... Um, God would use prophets to speak the word. And so Habakkuk is a prophet, and um, he, his whole story is really a, a closed-door story from beginning to end. And it uh, starts out in kind of the place that we find ourselves. Um, so, but to give you a little bit of background on Habakkuk, uh, so he is um, part of a people group called the Judeans, and the Judeans were um, God's chosen people. And uh, they were... Uh, 
in, in Judah. That was where they resided, in the, and the capital city was Jerusalem. And so uh, they're God's chosen people, and they've had good kings, and then they are recently coming out of a time of two awful kings. And back in the Old Testament, um, the areas were, uh, based on where you live, that's who your God was. And so uh, Judea would have had the capital G, the God we worship, God. And they ended up, they're just coming out of a season where they had two kings who introduced different gods from other areas into this area. And they kind of took down the altars and the things that we use to worship God, or they would have used to worship God. And they filled it in with um, things to worship the God called Baal. And Baal uh, was a god who asked for child sacrifices and things like that. And so this first king that kind of started, that introduced them to this, Manasseh, he uh, sacrificed uh, multiple sons of his uh, to this god, Baal. And that's kind of the climate that um, Judah would have faced them, fa- been facing. Uh, and they would have never experienced worship this way before. And so uh, then Manasseh, one of his sons, he didn't kill. And Manasseh had a son, Ammon. And Ammon um, came into rule after Manasseh had moved on. And he was only in rule for two years. And the history books say that he actually didn't really do anything of of value. He just kind of fell into the spot. He was just as bad. He took him in an even worse direction. Um, But Ammon, and then he was eventually... uh, murdered by uh, the people who were around him. They got tired of him or whatever. Um, so, but Judah was over here, and then because of these two kings, they kind of come way down over here. And so uh, now Josiah, when this story takes place, Josiah is actually Ammon's son, and uh, Josiah is now in rule, and he's kind of taking it in a better direction, but they're kind of so far gone. The Bible actually says that they were so far gone that they were actually worshiping Baal, and we would say worse, but they were worshiping them better than the nations who would actually call Baal their god. And so they were doing things kind of even more extreme. Um, and so they were like in a really corrupt, really bad state. And so Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk starts with, um, it's a, the whole book, it's just three chapters. It's a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. And uh, it starts out kind of with a closed door and where we find ourselves when we run into a closed door. So the text is going to be up on the screen. It's Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or um, if you have an app or something like that. But it reads like this. So Habakkuk is uh, keeping in mind how just terrible the, um, his community and environment would be. That's uh, kind of where he's speaking from. He says, And in the Bible, it says a complaint right above the thing, but it's actually a prayer. Sometimes our prayers are complaints, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, But it it begins like this, and he's talking to God. He says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. What Habakkuk is saying here is, is he's praying to God, and it's essentially what he's saying, it's a prayer of frustration is really what it is. And there's this um, door that the righteous people, the people who still are following the capital G God, the God that we worship, who are in Judea, are amongst all this corruption and um, all this iniquity and all these things that they know as followers of God that he doesn't like. And um, 
God is standing idle to this. He's not uh, judging them instantly. He's not striking them dead. He's not fixing it. He's letting this go on. And so this is a, a frustration prayer that Habakkuk is praying to God, saying, why, why aren't you helping the people who are doing the right things? And, and I, can, I can relate to this because I can tell you all of the names of the people who did get scholarships over me, um, all the people who did get stars over me that I felt that I was better um, better than, and I think that maybe we have these lists of things where we did everything right and we went down the right path, but it still ended in a closed door and people maybe who didn't go down it the right way seem to be getting an open door to this thing that you felt that you should have had. Uh, the other thing that I can think of off the top of my head is the people who were like, never study for tests. We, we grew up in school, right? And they would never study for tests and they would always get a better grade on you when you stayed up like super late studying for the test. I was never one of those people, but I had friends like that who would just get awesome grades and they never studied for tests. And so this is really Habakkuk's um, just frustration prayer to God about, hey, there, there are people down here who are doing this correctly and we're, they're going down the path that you want them to be going down and you're really, you're closing this door on them and you're not fixing our nation and you're not um, getting these gods out of our nation. You're just letting this happen. And uh, God, God's response is awesome. And it's not up here, but it's, it's the very next verse. Uh, so the book of Habakkuk is kind of laid out. It's um, uh, Habakkuk says something, God responds. Habakkuk complains again. God responds. And then it ends with uh, a praise from Habakkuk. And so uh, this is God's first response. And the very first thing that God says, he says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am, a doing, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. That, that is key. That I would not believe if I told you. The, for, the, for those of you who are going to be taking notes, this first point for why there are closed doors or maybe a part of a closed door, is that God has plans that I don't know or that I'm not aware of. That's the first point. And in this, in this response that God has, he says, look, there are things that I'm up to and that your world is the way that you see it or your environment or your closed door is appealing to you or appearing to you in this way. But even if I told you why that door is closed or what I'm doing, you wouldn't believe me. And I find myself here all the time where if I just knew why the door was closed or if I just knew where God was going to take me, that I would be like okay with it or I would understand it. And God just flat out tells Habakkuk, he says, hey, look, you're not going to believe me if I tell you why this door is closed. And then God goes on and he, uh, he continues, I'm not going to read it, but he continues to, uh, he says, you're not going to believe me. And then he ends up telling Habakkuk exactly what he's going to do. And he says, he's going to raise up this nation called the, uh, the people of Chaldea or the Chaldeans, and they um, were people who would have worshipped Baal, and they were um, definitely not the people of God. But God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to raise these people up, and these people are going to wipe out your nation, and they're going to serve justice to you. So the, the people who are more unjust than you are going to serve you justice for the injustices that you are committing, and I'm going to glorify myself that way. And Habakkuk responds, and he's, he doesn't like that, obviously, and uh, so God tells him, and Habakkuk says, well, you can't do that because we're more just than them, and we should be serving justice to, to them and to their God of Baal, and, um, and God says, no, that's not how it's going to be, and so Habakkuk responds with another complaint saying, no, you can't do this. I would prefer it if you didn't do this. There are righteous people here who are trying to worship you and who are doing it correctly. You can't just wipe them out with this people group who is way worse than us, and so then... Uh, 
this, the second uh, thing that we're going to have up here is uh, Habakkuk chapter 2. And we're also going to be reading verses 2, for, two through 4. This is Jesus's, or excuse me, this is the Lord's response to Habakkuk's second complaint of you can't do that. And he says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So there are a couple things in this second point, and the second point is this, that sometimes doors are closed because we need to grow or I need to grow. And there are two things, or there are three things in this text that the Lord kind of points out to Habakkuk, and he says, hey, look, you're not where you need to be, and there are things that I'm trying to teach you. And the first thing, um, right here in verse 2, he says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. So God's asking him to do something. So sometimes we're faced with a closed door, and our tendency is to just hit the closed door, and then it's just like over, and we just stop. We sit down. We either wait for the door to be opened. We stop moving forward, or we figure, well, if God doesn't want me to do this, I don't know what God wants me to do, so I'm just not going to do anything until he tells me what to do. But God tells Habakkuk, he says, hey, look, he doesn't even address his complaint. He just says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I'm tired of you complaining. I just want you to do this. And he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So the people that he's going to prophesy to, this is um, Habakkuk's call, uh, God calling him to be a prophet. And he says, hey, look, I want you to tell these people why this is going to happen, or that this is going to happen, maybe not why, um, but just that this is going to happen, and I need you to deliver that message. And so he's got to deliver this to the message, uh, this message to both the righteous people and the unrighteous people in Judea. And so this is a terrible task that he has to do, but God is asking him to do something. And I think sometimes when we face a closed door, the best thing for us to do is not to sit idly or not to stop, but to figure out what it is that God wants us to do. When I... Uh, even though I never played or I, I, I practiced and I got to practice against some people who are in the NFL and that's my claim to fame. But, uh, uh, and that was the coolest thing I did. But I never contributed in a game or anything like that. I just helped prepare the team to do the thing. And they probably didn't even need me. I always say that I was the best bench warmer at Oregon State. Um, but if they uh, actually needed, like if that was actually a role, I would probably be the third string at that or something. Um, but so there were skills that I still learned and, and things that I was still able to use today through this avenue of playing football um, that I wouldn't have got if I hadn't gone through this or gone through this avenue. And so I think what, what God is trying to tell Habakkuk is that there are things that I still want you to do even though you're in a place where um, there's a closed door. I don't want you to stop. I want you to continue moving forward. So the first thing... or. So under this point, you can write that God wants you to do stuff. So Habakkuk needed to grow through doing things. Uh, he also needed to grow in patience. It says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. He needs to understand the skill of patience. Sometimes God closes the door because we just have to wait it out. And we hate waiting. We're a culture. We love to get things super fast right away, instantly. Um, and sometimes that skill of patience is something that God wants us to learn. And the last thing is, is that he needs faith. And he says, behold, his soul is puffed up, for it is not upright within him. Those are the unrighteous people. And he says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. 
So not, not by what is being seen or not by what's actually happening, but just with the faith that God is God and that he's going to do what he wants to do. After, after this, after the verse 4, God continues, and he ends the rest of chapter 2, letting, kind of reminding Habakkuk exactly who he is and exactly the power that he has as God. Um, and he just says, you know, hey, look, I'm God. I can... I'm in control of all of this. I'm doing exactly what I want to do and what's going to be glorifying to me. And, um, and you, just, you just have to have faith in that. And so he says, so sometimes what we, what we need to learn is that we need to have faith in God and if, have faith in what God is doing even though we can't see it. So that first point is that sometimes God is doing something that I don't know. And then the second point is that I need to grow. The third point, God reminds Habakkuk who he is. The third point for why there might be a closed door or a part of a closed door, God has something better. And this is one that we like to think and we like to, uh, well, I want better right now. But the third point is that sometimes God closes the door because he has something better for you. Um, The hard part about this one is that uh, right away what needs to be addressed is that God is doing everything for his glory. And we would all agree with that, and we would all say amen to that and praise that. But God's, God being glorified does not equal our happiness. Um, and that's, that's the hard part about this. So, so when God is closing a door so that something is better, it's something better for God and God's glorification, not necessarily something that you would have preferred or something better for you. Sometimes it is. And a lot of times, I think if we have the right perspective, it is better for us as well because we get to that relationship where that's what we're living for is to glorify God. But if we're not at that place, it can be extremely depressing and uh, not what we want when we don't get the door to go through because that would be glorifying to us versus what's glorifying to God. And this also reigns true for Jesus in Jesus' story. And we look, uh, we can look at the different gospels and Jesus in the uh, garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to God before he's going to go die on the cross. And he prays to God three times. He kind of knocks on the closed door. God, if, if I don't have to die on the cross, if I don't have to drink this cup, if there's another way, would you, would you let me be able to do that? And God actually does not respond to Jesus. He doesn't even give Jesus an answer. He sends angels down to comfort Jesus and that's his only response to that. And so Jesus himself actually faces a closed door that I think that we can draw encouragement from. And then actually Jesus goes and dies on a cross. And so I would say that God's glory is not even dependent on Jesus's happiness all the time. And that should be an encouraging thing to us, not not a depressing thing. And then God ultimately dies on the cross and then he, his closed door opens the biggest door for us and opens all of our open doors through his death his burial, and his resurrection. So what's important, really the point that I want you to get from from going through Habakkuk and seeing those three points, if you're taking notes, I'll go through them again. The first one is that God has a plan. God sometimes has plans that we don't know. That's why he gives us closed doors. Sometimes we need to grow, and sometimes God has something better. And what what I want you to see is, is that we can look at Habakkuk and we can look at Judea. And Habakkuk is looking at this closed door with God. And he's looking at it from a perspective of God's glorification of having God. Whereas Judah would be looking at this closed door when they're hearing this message that the Bible doesn't tell us how it goes when he tells his, com- uh, his country that um, 
they're all going to get wiped out by a, a lesser country. But you can imagine that when Judah hears that, it's not going to go well and that they're not going to be looking at it from a place of I'm with God. And when that happens and when you and I look at our closed doors without God, what we see is a finish line or the end. And what I want to encourage you with today is that when we look at it from the perspective of God or through the perspective with God, it's only a starting line. It's only the beginning. And so what I'd encourage you with today is that we want to be looking at our closed doors with the perspective that it's a starting line, not an ending line. And the text that I want to read in regards to that is how um, Habakkuk actually ends the book. And this is verses 17 through 18. It should be up on the screen. He rejoices. So he's, he's started with a prayer and he's ending with a prayer. One of the reasons I love this book. Uh, it's worth reading. It's only three chapters. I would totally recommend you guys go through and read it. But he says this. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So he starts with this huge complaint of, God, why are you doing this? And he ends with this praise of, even, even if you don't do anything, I trust that you are going to do something to glorify yourself, and I'm fine with that, and I'm going to praise you for that. And so we see this closed door where Habakkuk had two ways to go. He could either look at this from the perspective of Judah, or he could look at it from the perspective of himself, which he chose with God, and have it be a starting line where God does all this incredible stuff. He brings Jesus, and ultimately everybody gets justice, and the good and the righteous will get justice, and the evil and the wicked will be judged by God. And this prophecy, this allows Habakkuk or this allows God to bring in Jesus and ultimately glorify himself. And even today, through our closed doors, God is still glorifying himself. And so what I want to encourage you with today is that our closed doors are actually something that God is using. to. He, he wants it to be a starting line for you and not a finish line. And so for me, as I, uh, why I'm wearing the Oregon shirt today, um, I, uh, Every time I see you guys with your duck, what's hilarious about this whole thing of me not going to Oregon is that uh, two, when I see that big O, two things. One, Oregon State, since I attended Oregon State and had started going there, has never beat Oregon. And the other thing is I never, I never played a game. This, this was like, when I see you guys wearing the Oregon stuff, that is just like the biggest closed door and is the constant reminder to me that I hit this closed door. But I need to view it as the starting line and the start of what I'm able to do now and what God is going to do through me to glorify himself. And so I would encourage you guys as you go out this week and as you think about these things and think about closed doors, maybe it's closed doors you have faced or maybe it's closed doors you're facing right now, I would encourage you to look at that and see all of the things that have come from that closed door positively for the advancement of God's kingdom and the glory and how he's trying to use your closed doors to glorify himself. And so I would encourage you to maybe map it out. I actually did this in the, in the book John Ortberg talks about um, actually going and marking down all of the different areas where there were closed doors in your life and seeing maybe what would have happened if he, God had said yes, if I was still playing football or if I was um, doing something else other than uh, preaching to you guys this morning. Um, but he encourages you to go and look at th these different closed doors and how they've actually shaped 
your life or at least what God is doing through you for the better and not for the worse. And so we are always going to have closed doors and we're always going to be facing these closed doors. But, and I wouldn't necessarily say that there's always going to be an open door, but what comes from that closed door and what you allow God to do through you in those closed doors, I want that to be a starting line for you and not a finish line. So I'm going to close here with, and the band can come up. Um, I wanted to tell you guys a quick story. Uh, My grandpa moved out here from Wisconsin, and uh, he was a teacher over there, and he was a successful eighth grade math teacher. He loved teaching math. It was his favorite thing ever, and he ended up having um, kind of this year where things weren't going how they were before. He couldn't really relate with the kids. He couldn't get them to behave in class uh, and stuff like that, and he had lots of conversations with God and lots of things, and God ended up Uh, telling him that he wanted to move out here to Oregon. And he didn't know why he was going to move out here to Oregon. He didn't even have a job. He didn't even have a house that he was going to move out here to. But he kind of picked up his family from Wisconsin and moved out. And at his retirement party in Wisconsin, um, he had this uh, fellow history teacher, Ron uh, Mueller. And um, Ron was was not not a Christian. And uh, he could not figure out why... Uh, Grandpa was leaving from something that he was so good at and so successful at to move out uh, to Oregon to do something that he he didn't even know. And uh, he asked Grandpa, you know, multiple times, you know, why are you why are you moving out there? What are you what are you doing out there? And Grandpa didn't have an answer for him. And uh, he just said, you know, this is just something I, I feel that I, I need to do and I need to go out here. And and Ron could not figure that out. And he said, you know what? Well, if you start a church or if you do anything like that, you let me know and I'll, I'll come to that church. Um, Grandpa actually, ironically, uh, this year did start a church, and um, they uh, actually turned a, an old strip club into into a church in, in downtown Portland. And uh, I, I don't have a cool story where he actually called Ron. He he doesn't know what Ron is doing. Um, but there are sometimes that cl- God closes doors on things that uh, are even you know good things and and things that you're good at. And so closed doors can look completely different. Um, in different cases, but I would encourage you that whether it's a closed door on something you actually didn't want to do or whether it's a closed door on something you thought you were going to do for the rest of your life, God wants to glorify himself through that closed door and use you in ways you never thought.